0: Hey guys, I got this brand new podcast called Adam Hunter's World. Make sure you check it out. It's hilarious. You're going to love it. Hey everybody, welcome to our brand new MMA Roasted Podcast. It's me, Adam Hunter. I'm here uh, with uh, Joe, the new sound guy. And it is an honor to have a two-time UFC champion Richard Hunter. No, no. Uh, uh, Frank Meir in awesome. studio. Uh, you have no idea, man. I, I've been a huge fan for a long time. Richard, how's it going, man? Good. Good to see you. Uh. Uh, fellow comedian slash you have thousands of jobs. We
1: share, uh, we share the pursuit of stand-up comedy and we share a last name. Yes. So, yeah.
0: and, 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 and yes. Uh, so it's, uh, it's awesome to have you, Frank. Um, first time I actually met Frank Mir, uh, I was doing the MMA Awards. And you were in the, uh, you came to the hotel, the Hard Rock, right? the Hard Rock, yeah. and you had a gun in your back pocket and a knife around your neck. And I was like, this might be the scariest human being I've ever. But you were the sweetest guy. Thanks. Uh, it was just an honor to have you, man. Hope for
2: the best, prepare for the worst, right?
0: <laughs> a- absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, so, how's it going? How you How you guys like in L.A.?
1: Great. This is our second trip to L.A. You know, Frank and I started doing phone booth fighting in September. And uh, a couple of months ago, I told him, "All right, I think it's time to take it on the road." So we came to to LA to to do a couple of podcasts to promote our own, like uh, like like you're so gracious as to allow us to do. And uh, we came out to Eddie Bravo Invitational. That's we were out there for that. So uh, a couple of months went by. I said, "Let's uh, let's do it again. Let's hit the road." So I knew we needed to stop here at MMA Roasted because I'm a <laughs> subscriber.
0: Nice. Well, thank uh, you. You know, uh, I want to hear you.
1: myself on a downloaded episode. Uh, well, that's
0: what's cool to be out of my apartment now. Is like I could have people just like I could do like when I did it at studio time. You're confined to twelve to two at a studio. Yeah. Versus like, hey, when are you free? Like tomorrow we have. Uh, uh, McCorkle and Mitrione come to my apartment. Oh, oh yeah. This is like heavyweight week.
2: Yeah. here,
0: uh, which is pre- pretty damn awesome. Um, and, you know, and also uh, Baba Jenkins as well. Frank, um, I used to love your commentating on WEC. Uh, how come you don't do that anymore?
2: Not by my choice.
0: Really? Yeah. Because I really thought that you had, like, I mean, you, but you weren't, like, you weren't a jerk or anything. Like, you had... Very, very good at that.
2: Well, I was blessed with the ability that, you know, like most of the guys in the UFC, I understand fighting. And then I was just able to, I think, convey my thoughts of what I was seeing just in, in real time and better than some guys are able to. Not that they don't, you know, don't understand what I'm seeing, but just some guys, you know, either they speak in terms that if you're not, you know, deep into mixed martial arts, it's going to kind of go over your head. And uh, because I kind of have to break things down simply for me to understand. And that's just how I kind of regurgitate it. And I'm like, well, this is how I, you know, may simplify what I'm watching. And I think it just, uh, people were able to pick it up, and I've always gotten positive feedback. Um, so I don't know. Hopefully one day i you know.
0: I think you have a, definitely a career in that. If not with the UFC, with, you know, a Titan or a Bellator or somewhere nah, else. I would like know? to,
2: you know. That's one thing about the UFC contract is that, you know, UFC owns everything I do. So if, uh, you know, it sucks. It's, I, I wish it was a situation where I'd be like, well, hey, can I commentate? They're like, well, no, we don't have room for you. All right, cool. Can I commentate for somebody else? No. I'm like, oh, that kind of blows. But what either.
0: about now that um, all these, like, I know Juliana Pena is doing Combate America or, like, now that all these things are on Fight Pass. Will they let you commentate for the, one of those? Well, hopefully, we'll see.
2: Yeah. I'm it's hoping. Like, I keep my fingers crossed. Every time they ask me, I say yes, but I don't seem to get asked as much as I would think I would from the feedback I get from fans.
0: Oh, it's great. No, you, you, you break down stuff that I was like, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. And it's also interesting from a heavyweight watching the smaller guys yeah you know which a lot of guys i feel like heavyweights wouldn't be able like they're just used to one style of fighting right
2: much more simplified because i mean you know strength to weight ratio is different and you know that's why guys at heavyweight fight slightly different than guys at middleweight and middleweights fight different than flyweights and as you go through it there's just different things that are available to each guy you know that's things that people have a, a preponderance to be better at you know and so um uh I like martial arts at all levels and so I look and study and even if it's a move that I might not necessarily do um, I understand it you know and I think that comes to that in most more old school martial arts gyms we didn't have 30 guys that are all professional fighters so I couldn't sit there and go well me and the four heavyweights are going to go in the corner when I first started training 90 percent of my training partners were the size of you guys so if I wanted to work out that day i had to work out with guys that were smaller than me so not that i would necessarily maybe use the maneuvers you would use but i had to know what attacks were being used on me from a smaller guy that had more agility or more flexibility or range of motion than typically a heavier guy so whether we were doing stand-up or ground or whatever the case may be so it made me understand i guess more facets of martial arts than some of the guys i think that come out nowadays kind of just stick within their weight class so i think it kind of hinders their understanding of the complete game of martial arts
0: now I was reading uh, that when you wrestled in high school, because I, I was a wrestler in high school, uh, I loved it. I still, I still coach now; I coach middle school wrestling. Well, oh, that's awesome. Uh, I've been doing it a ten years. Started a program in Brentwood and started the high school program. Uh, but you lost your first eight matches as a that junior. Stopped. But then, as a senior, you went forty-four and one, and won the state championship. How does someone do that?
2: Well. I basically I decided not to make it an afterthought, but a primary uh, objective, meaning that I remember going into my junior year after junior year of football. Uh, you know, I'm six foot three, 245 pounds. I'm one of the fastest guys on the field. You know, especially for 10 yards, I could take off faster than anybody I played with. And we had guys, one guy in particular on the team that ran a 10 six in the hundred. And uh, even though he could outrun me over a period of time, even from the first couple steps, I did well. So, you know, obviously scholarships are being spoken about, you know, hey, man, you're going to, you know, go to the next level. And uh, the one thing that was said about me was that, well, you're just not mean enough. You know, you go out there and you'll wrap people up and put them down. But it doesn't look like you hit people with like, you know, intention, you know, like you're not trying to, you know, cause damage. And so uh, it was said more than one time. And so uh, one of the... the, uh, The remedies to the problem was, like, go out for the wrestling team. You know, wrestling will make you more aggressive. You know, it'll make you more masculine, I guess. You know, some machismo, you know, fighting one-on-one, you know, will bring that out in you. And uh, it helped because the first, you know, like I said, seven or eight matches, I I mean, I got stomped. It was bad. And then uh, it just clicked that I wanted to be good at this. It wasn't just something I was doing to be better at football but I wanted to be better at wrestling for itself. And so I, I took a different focus that when I first walked into the gym or walked into the wrestling room, you know, at that time I'm like, you know, one of the star football players, and eh, I'm just kind of doing this for, you know, shits and giggles, you know, whatever, I'm just, you know, I'm here because the coach asked me to, I'd rather just be in the weight room. And uh, getting stomped like that brought something out of me to where I'm like, I don't like the way this feels to have another man dominating me I'm not used to the way this feels and you know and one thing is to lose because I go out there and fight hard and the other guy just is better that day but to lose because I'm not really putting that much effort towards it that that stung. That, and I cried about it when I went home, and so I gathered myself up and started really trying to, you know, learn how to be a better wrestler and what attributes I possessed, and just really looked at it from a pragmatic point of view. I'm like, all right, I'm a super athletic for a heavyweight, most heavyweights are just fat kids running, you know, barely able to hold their own weight, let alone you know change levels and shoot and know how to do a drop step or whatnot. And uh, I figured it out. You know, went on to actually even go to nationals.
0: Wow. Now, how many kids did you beat back that beat you the first?
2: Well, you know what? That's a good question. I don't remember. I just know that the next year I came out, I was a buzzsaw, very dominant. Even towards the end of that year, my junior year, I went on to get second at zone and was third in state. Wow. And then so just so within two or three week period, almost a month, I really turned around from being a non uh, uh, component of the division to
0: your coach's dream. I mean, <laughs> I I it happens sometimes with, with uh, like the, when I coach, like, uh, some I hate to say it cause it sounds racist, but some of the black kids that are better athletes that come out and, and then they just they learn wrestling that much quicker and it's a couple moves and then yeah. you know uh, where you know just like you know they just it's, it's it's just hammer people, but that's great. I mean, for a coach to see a kid going 0 and 8, come back and win states, I mean that's, that's yeah. insane.
2: So yeah, I guess it was kind of a benchmark for me trying to figure out other obstacles in life. Just no matter what, as long as you're still drawing breath, no matter how many times you fail if you get up and try again and realistically look at it and go, why did I stumble this? All right, let me try again, you know?
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and then I was, I was going through your UFC career, and just, just one of the matches, uh, one of the fights you had where the a guy was a, a seventh-degree black belt, and then you submitted him in the first round with an armbar. Yeah,
2: my very first fight in the UFC.
0: And what belt were you?
2: Uh, I think I just got my purple belt. <laughs>
0: And, and you submit a seventh degree black belt.
2: Yeah, well, you know, mixed martial arts slightly different than traditional jiu-jitsu. Uh, even to a point, even now, it's funny, I'm going to probably do, uh, sign up to do some seminars here in uh, July down in uh, Kansas. And they're like, oh, we want to do gi. I'm like, eh, uh, I don't want to fool anybody here, but I'm not really, that's not my strong suit. You know, I've never won any world titles with a gi on. Um, I'm better at MMA okay, within the realm of uh, fighting, uh, not just sport jiu-jitsu. And so then they understood. They're like, well, no, whatever you're going to show. So, I, and I always preface, you know, that first. I'm like, hey, this isn't where I made my money. You know, what I mean, like, this is not where I put my uh, all my eggs. And so, um, that's one thing that helped me was that I, I think, because I have a simplistic way of looking at things. Uh, Jujitsu kind of gets dumbed down, and so does boxing, kickboxing, wrestling. You know, if you look at a college wrestling match, the maneuvers. That they're using in the NCAA finals, some of the transitions you're never going to see in an MMA fight. Even amongst guys that are national champions, I've seen uh, you know uh, uh, Phil Davis, you know when he wrestled for uh, Penn, State. Uh, Penn State, when he won nationals, the guy had his leg up in the air. Some of the you know the way he was able to lock and nullify and finally secure takedowns, I've never seen him have to use those maneuvers in the cage. Yeah, really, honestly, a high school kid if he watches him fight in a cage could probably name off and teach every move that he's using. But then if he goes into a wrestling match, folk style match, then all of a sudden it's like, well, what did he do there? Like, I I don't really know. Like, the guy was on his legs. He transitioned to the side. The guy hit his shoulder. uh, He locked his hands. I thought he was going to come up, but he pulled him over. Like, I I don't know what I just saw. Higher level. And jujitsu can be the same way. And boxing, you know, if you do the sport itself, it becomes really – uh, detailed, but it, when it comes to fighting, it's just the basics of the maneuvers, you know, just like it's the basics of wrestling, the basics of boxing, and the basics of jujitsu. So it helped me in just a purple belt in understanding that. That I think that was early on in my career. I realized I didn't want to specialize with the gi, I wanted to keep sharpening up the basics. And I think that's why I'm able to look, you know, lock up so many submissions compared to some guys that really, I mean, if you think about it, Fabrizio Verdum is way more decorated as a jiu-jitsu stylist than I am if we both put on geese, I'm in trouble. You know, if we do a sport jiu-jitsu match. Now, we say we're going to start punching each other at the same time, even if we're going to use submissions, and it brings it back into my world, where it's like, okay, well, now we're going to be just about the simple basics and the setups and, and, and looking for opportunities.
0: Yeah, that's. I guess that's why it's so many people now are just doing, like you know, jujitsu for MMA, wrestling for MMA, yeah. you know, so they don't they don't have to, they, you know, you see it like a guy like Rory McDonald, you know, who, mm-hmm. like when he's younger, he's all of a sudden, he's like training in MMA versus yeah. training in one, you know. Yes. And he's the first generation, you know, that's really the
1: first generation of that too, because now we're just starting to see guys like Rory McDonald of that generation move into adulthood who had known MMA their whole life, you know, as opposed to just one generation before where, you know, it didn't come along for a lot of guys, a lot of guys until they were, it was almost too late for them.
2: Well, I think, you know, who was really, uh, I think the, uh, in my opinion, the forebear of that. You, you don't have to be a phenomenal, in the past, if uh, Josh Koscheck, right? Yeah. You sit there and go, well, you have to get to that level of wrestling and then translate it into MMA. Now, obviously, Josh, phenomenal wrestler, you know. But then he has a fight with, uh, you know, George St. Pierre, who if they were wrestled in a college match 10 out of 10 times, I'm mm-hmm. betting on Josh. Yeah. But now in the, the context of a fight, even with wrestling moves, he is able to stop Josh's yeah. takedowns. You know, Josh, from what I've seen in college, is more of a counter wrestler anyways. But he shot on Josh, got him a bar, you know, grabbed the sing- shot a double, turns into a single, hit a bars guard, throws him down and, and gets on top of him. Takes him down. So I think people saw that going, well, I can either try to go the long route, which there's nothing wrong with that, but I can really specialize and then transition that into MMA, or I can just learn the maneuvers that are going to be common in MMA and just start specializing on well, those Well, didn't now. like Roy Nelson beat you in a grappling match, but yeah. then in MMA,
0: you just, you killed him. Destroyed him. him. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, he beat me on points. And so... uh Huge example of just spe- that's why sometimes, like, you know, now people are like, Hey, you know, as you start to leave the UFC, you're going to start doing grappling matches. I'm like, Well, yes, but I need to train for them. They're like, What do you mean? You train all the time? I'm like, eh, I train for fighting. You know, it's going to be a slightly different, you know, handle grips, positions. There's just certain things that are different when all of a sudden I sit there and go, Well, the guy can't punch me now. Oh really? I, I see all kinds of maneuvers that happen in sport Jiu-jitsu, Some of the guards and positions. I'm like, you know, I'm like, yeah, that, that would never work in my world, but it works great in their world. So if I'm gonna do that, you can't be so arrogant to be like, well, I'm great at this, so it'll easily just transfer over. I'm all, no, nah, it doesn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no. For a while, uh, now for a while, you were the UFC champion because I, I, I had friends that like told me like, yeah, I saw Frank Mir working the Rhino. They yeah. said that, that you were the champion <sighs> while working. As a bouncer at the Rhino, was that just a mindfuck of knowing that you're like the champion of the world, but you got to work at a strip club?
2: No, I think it was just that, you know, one, you know, we didn't weren't fighting, you know, like they didn't have 48 cards a year. So the fights weren't as common and the paydays just weren't as big of a deal. At the time, I think after I won the title, my new contract was I, I think if I, you know, to show up, I got 60 grand to win was 30 grand. Well, I mean, if you fight once every nine months, you know. And you win, let's say, 90 grand, and all of a sudden, okay, well, you know, 38% goes to taxes, you know, 20% probably goes to your trainer, so you're getting almost half of that. Living off of $45,000 a year,
0: you got three kids. Eh, it's yeah,
2: it's not that impressive when you start breaking it down. Yeah. So I had to have another job to supplement my income, you know, with the two of them, I live nicely, but uh, to just have one.
0: Did anybody did, uh, try to test you? Like, oh, I can try to. That guy's a champion, so you got some big meathead that comes nah, in Nah, it
2: never really happens. Uh, I think, too, it's kind of your mentality, uh, especially because I was younger at the time. If anybody wanted to, I was very quick to take over the opportunity. It's was like, well, if you want to really fight, let's do it. Let's go outside. I remember even to one point where we had a guy, real thick, burly guy, looked like he was in pretty good shape for a 30-second type brawl where it's like, ah, this guy looks like for 30 seconds he's going to be a pain in the ass. You know what I mean? Like, oh, And, uh, you know, he was pissed off and angry. And so we, we got him outside the club and there was 10 of us and one of him. So, so he starts running, walking across the street and he's facing us, screaming, just one of you, you know, go all right, You know, if one of you think you're a man, come over. So as soon as he says it, I just, I start walking across the street and I get there, I take off my jacket and I'm waiting and then I look up and I'm like, and then all the other bouncers are laughing now because he's still talking shit to them and they're like, well, he showed up. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a guy who wants to fight you. So he turned around. I just put my hands up sort of walking towards him, I, you know, shift, change, I'm just going to start hitting him, you know. And then all of a sudden he sees me, and he goes, "No, oh, Matt, come on, I don't, don't want to fight or anything, you know. <laughs> yeah. and I can't hit a guy at that point. He starts putting his hands on, he lowers his head, you know, like, you know, a real, like, diminutive, you know, like, all right, you know, no. And I think that that probably got me out of a lot of situations because I was ready to go ahead and be like, "Well, oh, if you want to fight, I like to fight. If we're just going to fight, yeah. let's
0: fight. I love fighting. You're not worried about like him having a knife or a gun or yeah, I mean
2: that could happen, but I mean, I was more worried about dra- drama afterwards. That's something that I've never liked and that's probably why I've avoided altercations and situations in my in real life and as I've gotten older realizing like, eh, you know, but to me I, that wouldn't I would think, and that's probably the wrong thinking, that if you're the kind of guy that's like, I just want to fight somebody. I'm like, all right, cool, let's fight. Well, why are you going to bring a knife or a gun? You're not defending yourself. Yeah. I'm not jumping you. Right. You said that you wanted to have a good time. It's funny. I've met so many guys that tell me that. that I like to fight. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, me too. You want to fight? Yeah. And they're like, no, yeah. no, no. Well, you know, my back, my, my shoulder. Uh, I got an early meeting tomorrow. I'm like, right. well, you didn't say that all about 30 seconds ago. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So uh, that typically never happened. You know?
1: that's, that's crazy. Uh, that's the worst excuse ever, by the way, for a guy trying to act tough to get out of a fight. I've got an early meeting <laughs> tomorrow.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. It's funny because not that I ever got any good uh, uh, excuses, but uh, uh, one, one time a guy, you know, yipping, you know, he wanted to fight, wanted to fight. So we went out in the back alley. I'm like, all right, let's fight, you know? No, nah, man, you're just like me. I don't want to fight you. I'm like. What What does that mean? you just like like You would want to fight me. We fight each other. Like warriors Uh fight warriors. Uh Like, what do you mean? You wanted some coward that was going to back down to you? So you're a bully. Ah, there's a big difference between you and me. We're not the same. I like to fight other people that can fight back. Just like I couldn't hit the guy that, you know, told me that, okay, as soon as he lowered his eyes to me and put out his hands, my instinct of trying to do battle, you killed it. You know, like, I'm like, all right, you're not trying to fight me back. I don't want to fight you. You know, it'd be like a, a dog trying to chew up a smaller animal. It's like, well, unless I'm hungry, I need to eat. But it's just for the sake of enjoyment, right. I'm not getting any enjoyment out of this. I want something that could fight back or even beat me. Then we're going to... That's enjoyable.
0: Now, how many of the dancers at the Rhino at the time? I know your wife's here. I don't want to disrespect, oh. <laughs> but you are the UFC champion. Are, are girls hitting on you all the time? Or are you just like? Nah, my
2: wife had a few friends that worked there, so I was <laughs> under constant surveillance. Oh, that's, that's, that's very, 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 very smart wife
0: of yours. Now you. Now what? Uh, now are you still working as Dennis's uh, assistant or
1: his, his uh, media director? Den- yes. Now indeed, De- indeed, Adam.
0: Dennis Hoffs' says. Assess- now you're the one who found Lamar Odom, correct? correct. Right. So you walk in, Lamar Orton's passed out. Yeah. Now, it,
1: a lot worse than passed out. Yeah. <laughs> Just like yeah. drooling and. Yeah. Yeah. What what? Uh, basically what happened was um, that afternoon, uh, which and to, to explain what you're referencing, <laughs> the guy that owns uh, the Bunny Ranch and a number of other brothels, <laughs> the Love Ranch Vegas being one of them. Uh, is uh, uh, I'm his uh, his media director, basically. Right. So I'll write his press releases and things like that. You know. Damage control upon on occasion, which this particular afternoon uh, was was the challenge of my career. So uh, you could
2: be a PR person for a brothel. You're a black belt <laughs> in <PR>. <laughs> <laughs> so You could turn so, that around. This guy's got the
0: craziest like comedy, fighting, and and and, and hookers. This is like your. <laughs> well, you know what? It's funny because I said on our our phone booth
1: fighting podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't even think about it when I said it, but I saw somebody had quoted me on Twitter that I had said the line when I'm not. When I'm not analyzing uh, uh, professional fights. I'm breaking up fights between professional hookers.
0: Is that really what's going uh, on? Yeah,
1: pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay, we got, so, <coughs> yeah. So,
0: so, many, so so much here. I don't know who's. All right, so yeah. so so so, <laughs> so, it, so that, particular, <laughs> that particular
1: particular afternoon uh, back in October. It's kind of funny because the whole thing. Uh, I ended up telling the whole story on our on our, one of our first podcasts uh, a few days after it happened. Was uh, uh, it was a Tuesday afternoon. I'm sitting there, you know, working up some press release or something for uh, for Dennis. Uh, who's, who's not, he's up North by Reno. So I'm pretty much on my own down here. And, uh, I'm the only guy in the, in the whorehouse besides Lamar Odom and at the time. And I know that he's there. Is that the he's,
2: proper term? Yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know?
1: I'm like a, I'm like a rapper that can use the N word. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's okay. I'm gonna you're, in yeah, yeah, you're in the business. Gotcha. So. So I knew he had been there for a few days, uh, but there's a VIP house back there, like a full-on three-bedroom house that, if you're a big enough high roller, you can be back there, and even other people in the brothel won't know you're there. It's private entrance, all this kind of stuff. So he'd been out, he'd been there for a couple of days, had a couple of girls he was spending all his time with, and I, I knew all that. You knew the girls. Yeah, I didn't know the girls. Yeah, okay. And so, uh, so I'm sitting there in my office. All of a sudden, you know, I hear one of them come running up the hall. You know, the 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 six inch heels. You know, plump plump plump. You know, yeah, Richard, Richard, you know, come quick! Sometime to Lamar. You know, so I jump up and I. I go mean, you
0: and you, you you've heard "come quick" before from these girls, but sure. I I <laughs> that's <laughs> right. But, but, but usually, it's hurry up already. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly.
1: Gotcha. So, uh, so, so he comes. Uh, she comes running up the hallway, and the whole place is very sprawling. There's like a lot of hallways and twists and turns and all this, especially get to back to that VIP house. So I go running back there, and I come in this this running this uh, side door. Into the that, that opens into that master bedroom, and and he's on his back, and uh, uh, I they're all screaming. The two girls that found him, you know, was he naked. The time with him? No, he's wearing gym shorts. Okay, and uh, so that's I, actually a good question. I didn't think to ask yeah, that. Yeah, so I get up, I get up on the the bed. Now, now here's where uh, here's where jujitsu comes into play. Oh no, uh, I I knew he needed to get over on his side, and he's on his back, and you know this guy's a giant. So, uh, so I, I leveraged him up on his side a little bit, uh, and, and, and basically got him in an S mount so I could hold him on his side, and he didn't flop back over. And when I did, like crap just came out of his m- everywhere, like, like nose, mouth, yeah, wow. blood, like weird yellowy, all kinds this of. This is bizarre. like a Thursday night for you. It, okay. Well, you know what I mean, I really fortunately have not encountered very much of of that sort of thing right uh and so something he is is obviously very wrong, so i you know you tell the the one of the managers that followed behind me i'm like call nine one one so she calls nine one one I get the nine one one operator on the phone, and I'm explaining to her what's happened i said um you know I can I can do CPR on this guy if I need to. He was breathing. you know CPR. I did, and in my mind, I was that was kind of the only real conscientious thought I had was I've never really had to apply this to try to save somebody. <laughs> so like you know, do I remember everything? Now he was breathing. Now are is,
0: is your heart beating? Yeah. Are you? I mean, are you freaking out? Or are you just? I mean, I, I I'm calm,
1: but yeah, I mean, there's a big adrenaline. Like I'm, I'm realizing this is a real thing, and especially once I've got let's I'm like holding him. Because, to, you know, it's like when you hold a lifeless body, that's when it really becomes real. Like and he's, the, he
0: must be, what, 270, 280? He's yeah, a big dude. Yeah,
1: yeah. He's probably just a few short, shy of 300. And so, so I'm, I'm holding him up, and there's, the, you know, the bodily fluids everywhere. And so I'm telling the operator that we need him out there. And she says, okay. I said, he's snoring. I said, he's got, like, this super heavy snore. And uh, you could tell he was soaring so heavily, it was very unnatural. Like something was very wrong, whatever was going on with him. So uh, she said, okay, you know, paramedics are on the way. So the girls are in the room. And I said to one of the girls, okay, tell me everything he took. What has he taken? And she goes, well, he drank half this bottle of cognac over here on the nightstand. It was about half empty, but he'd been in there for a few days. So I'm thinking, uh, you know. And then she goes, and he took a bunch of these. And she holds up this packet and it's all the way across a big room, and she throws it to me because I can't – I've still got them in the S-mount, so I'm like, here, throw it over so I can hold them up. So she throws it to me, and it's this single uh, caplet in a package. It's called Reload. Uh-oh. And uh, I, I, I turn it over, and it's like a herbal Viagra enhancement mm. thing. And, and I'm reading the dosage to the 911 operator, and I also read to her where it says, like, you know, only take one every 24 hours or something like that. And I asked the, the hooker, I said, how many of them has he taken? And she goes, probably 10. Wow. And so uh, I tell the 911 operator that. So they get there pretty quick. Paramedics get there within about 10 minutes or so. They come in. There's three of them. But they, they can't, he, he's so big, they can't get him onto the gurney and out the door. So the four of us, those three guys, and then I take a fourth corner. We pull up the bed sheet, and we each hold it like this. And uh, uh, and carry him out like in a hammock, like you would a a sheet out to the ambulance to get him on there. And that that was the part where everything really kind of sunk into me, like when the light hit his face, because it was like I was thinking this, you know, like this guy may die. Like I may be about to watch this guy die. And so they took him to uh, Perump, Nevada, which is about 20 minutes outside of where the brothel is and probably another hour from Vegas, because that was the closest hospital. And for a time, uh, until the world found out about it, I sat in an emergency room with this guy, thinking this is going to be really bizarre if he dies, and all he's got sitting here with him is me. There you go.
0: Now that's now when you're with now about you know how it ended. It seemed like it ended pretty well. I mean, he, he yeah, he like, did survive. Now some people were saying that Dennis was making a marketing like this was like great PR stint. Other yeah. people were like. He really cares about Lamar. What's your?
1: Well, the thing is, Dennis. I mean, Dennis lives in this. Every, everything in Dennis's life happens in the the, the spotlight. You know. I mean, it, it, he he never turns down media um he, he it's not an act in the sense of he really is the person that you're seeing he just loves i mean in that way it's probably not unlike the kardashians in terms of you know they just want a camera on them uh, all the time so i don't think he was celebrating the fact that it happened but he was definitely uh being open and willing to talk about it i actually worried about that for me because i'm not I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll do podcasts all day long talking about, you know, phone booth fighting and Frank and I doing a podcast or whatever. But that something like that, I mean, I'm not going to go, oh, I got to, you know, start booking myself on some, <laughs> some shows. Uh, but what happened is they showed up anyway. Turns yeah. out I didn't have to book myself on any shows because within a few hours we had all these satellite trucks lining the road. For, you know, they'd all come down from L.A. and everything. And, um, and I did end up, you know, having to talk about it quite a bit. And I, I was kind of worried about that, you know, like I thought, eh, this is going to look kind of ugly. But at, fortunately, everybody, I mean, I could only talk about what I knew, which was how I found him and what happened. And, you now, know, I know I'm,
0: there are guys that when they they're around like strip clubs all the time, I'm like, oh, do you hook up with strippers? And they're like, mm-hmm. man, after being there for like two weeks, it's a." I, I, Regular girls. That's very true. Is that how you are in the whorehouse? Are, are the yes. Girls, so they're hitting on you and you're like, put your clothes on? Or? Well,
1: you know, I mean, obviously you can see the package. I mean, I'm a very <laughs> attractive man. So, you know, <laughs> yes, I mean, Adam, I wasn't going to point it out. But, sure, I had to beat him off of the stick. But, no, I, uh, you're, you're, you're absolutely dead on about that. And, in fact, it's funny. That's something, you know, Frank and I have both talked about with his history at the Rhino and me there, is it's like if you know the way the girls are behind the scenes and whatever they got going on in their personal life and their kids and the, the dad that they're not with anymore or whatever you draw back the curtain it takes yeah. away a little bit of the all eye. the drama ah. yeah it, it definitely uh, uh spoils that illusion so i tend to plus i end up being the I, i'm totally friend zoned it on that you know what i mean because i'm like the safe male so it's like uh uh, I end up probably just hearing about uh, how horrible the rest of the male persuasion is, you know, and like a good, safe, gay. Friend, oh, so they, I'm like, oh, I God. know. I know, honey. You don't have to tell me. I know. That's brutal. <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs> now, uh, no, Frank, let's talk about some of your fights, man. Uh, are you your last fight against Hunt? Um, I thought that it was stopped too early. You thought it wasn't.
2: No, I agreed with the referee. I understood. Um, I got caught right on the ear. It knocked off my equilibrium. So when I first hit the ground, I wasn't unconscious. So that's what people are seeing. The lights were still on. I just I couldn't get a bearing on what was happening as far as uh, I think at that moment, I kind of locked onto even the referee as just a moving body. So had, you know, if Hunt wanted to be a dick and just jump in on there, me defending myself, it would have been uh, hard. Not that it couldn't have survived and got through it, but uh, you know, on a personal level, would I wish it would have kept on going? Yeah, because then there's a, a chance that I might be able to you know tie him up, gather myself, and keep on going. But you know, as a logical human being, I have to look at it and go, I get it. You know, I don't fault the referee. If the other guy wanted to cause damage, nine out of ten times at that point in the fight, he's going to only cause more damage and continue to win.
0: Now, how long is that flight back from Australia for you? Uh well, the, no, no, I'm mean not like physically. I mean, I mean are you just beating yourself up the whole time or no, not really?
2: I mean it's the heavyweight division. I got caught with a punch by a guy that hits extremely hard We yeah. were just talking about this on our show I was trying to get people perspective that you know when people talk about all oh, the UFC That's you know exactly a real fighting a go. I'm like less striking more grappling They're like what do you mean? I'm all mm, My hands aren't wrapped in a real fight So I we don't punch each other the way we are able to punch each other in the octagon and If you think about it all of us have our hands professionally wrapped like a boxer would but he's wearing a 12 ounce glove in the heavyweight division we're wearing 4 ounce gloves um, and most of that ounces are on the back of our hand not over our knuckles and so if you think about it you can go from the champion Stipe right now who I seen get knocked out by Stefan Struve all the way down to the 10th ranked guy and I have pick a guy that hasn't been knocked out
0: Uh, there has not been one. Yeah, we, we tried uh, to do it the other night on our we, we, show. We couldn't come up uh, with anybody. 1 yeah, no, I mean, no, none of them. Right. I, I was at your fight against Todd Duffy. That was one of the scariest uh, knockouts I've seen. I mean, he just went.
2: Yeah, he came forward, a 260-pound guy, I, and I landed a shot on him. That's kind of how the heavyweight division is. That's why I have such a high knockout percentage. So losing by knockout, it, it sucks. It's, you're still losing. But it's one of those things where it's like it's nature of the beast of our sport. If I was getting – if, you know, years from now I go into a different organization and I'm fighting, you know, C-level guys and getting caught and knocked out, that's going to be hard to swallow. But fighting guys that are top ten in the world and getting caught by them, it's like, eh, you know, it happens. Especially since everybody else in the top ten has been knocked out or caught by another guy in the top ten. You know, it's kind of like we're we're just tigers going at it. The first guy to land on the other guy's neck
0: Uh, – Kane Brown who do you have
2: uh, I'm split you know I like Travis a lot you know he he can be extremely hard to take down and he's extremely long the only thing that scares me is that sometimes he doesn't throw a lot of shots guys that have a high output sometimes have given him a hard time uh stand up gave him a hard time in their fight because of that that high output you know that yeah. you know let me motor and Kane Velasquez is kind of the poster boy of high output uh on the flip side though I've seen Kane get hurt and driving mean, you know he fought uh, someone of similar you know uh, Congo hurt Congo hurt him I and mean, Congo's not as tall or long and doesn't hit as hard as Travis does so that's why it's one of those kind of dangerous fights if if you know if uh Kane makes a mistake he can get put to sleep if uh if if uh Travis doesn't keep him off and isn't busy then he's gonna get motored
0: yeah, I mean, I, I just think that Edmund is not a great coach for MMA. I think he's might be a good boxing coach, but if you look at his stable of MMA fighters, it's just like, I mean, you got he's coaching Ronda Rousey. He has, like, the, the, the prize racehorse in all of sports. And then she's fighting Holly Holm, and she's like, oh, yeah, go box the boxer. I mean, right. that would be the one thing I would tell if I was coaching a middle school kid. I,
2: stay away from that one person's right. strength, you know? Well, I mean, she had success at it. The only time I ever kind of, like, uh, in that fight, it wasn't so much the game plan to begin with, because I understand. Hey, come forward, you know, maybe you know, let's be aggressive. But when she came back in between rounds, between? beautiful,
0: beautiful job. Yeah. yeah,
2: and I'm like looking at, it, I'm like going, okay, I understand. Maybe we need to like, you know, you know whatever. But I'm like, hmm. And then you know, that part still I could live with. All right, you know, hey, great job. But you know what? We're going to do differently this round. Catch her by surprise. You would think you would shift gears, you know, going to okay, Plan B. You know, how do I get my fighter there? But to sit there and go, okay, everything you just did in round one, do it again. <laughs> right, right, right. No. I'm like, whose friend are you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. I've, I've always been a more of a um, – I understand sometimes like a guy's losing four rounds and you don't want it, and he's already discouraged. So you can, yeah, you don't want to break his yeah. spirit. You maybe want to lie to him and say, all right, man, let's keep it up. You know, yeah. but you don't want to just – out, out, out lie to your fighter yeah. if, if, if your fighter's trusting you to give you advice. You know, right. I, I've seen it sometimes where you just want your fighter to last the fifth round and not get knocked out. So you, then you go back to the drawing board and you kind of say, all right, let's just, you know, move around this, you know. But when you out, outwardly lie to your fighter, it's yeah. like, what are, you, what are you doing?
2: Yeah, because I think, too, it causes a mistrust. I'm sitting down on the uh, stool, I'm, I'm here. I'm in the center of those shots. I know what I'm feeling. So you just sit there and, and tell me something that is not the truth that distracts me for a second. You know what yeah. I mean? And I'm going to look at you and go, wait a minute. Hold on. What? No. Yeah. And then you're like, now you need to do this. I'm like, so now you're trying to give me advice on what to do, but you just told me what I was doing and that wasn't true. I right. didn't win. You know, I'm not doing well or, if I, you know, yeah. this. So it's like, okay, well, that wasn't accurate. You know, how accurate is the advice you're about to give me? You know, and then then I'm not even thinking about implementing, or I, I, I'm distracted. I'm not even thinking about the fight. You just already told me something that my brain went, no, that doesn't, no, that, that's not really adding up here.
0: I have friends like that who, after my sets, I know I bombed. Like, oh, you did good. I'm like, are you really my friend? Like, you know, like, I know what the fuck happened. I'd much yeah. rather have a friend tell me exactly what happened than tell me a great set uh, or something. it's just because then you then you just don't start to distrust everything they've ever told you.
2: Well, I mean, you have to have the person. That's why. I mean, really, I'll bring my wife to training matches, and it's funny because even though she's never fought a day in her life, you know, professionally or even you know, no aspirations to she understands what's going on. So I'll have her come in and practice and I'll sit down and be like, all right, man, hey, you know what? I good practice, this and that. I'm just like, all right, well. I don't know why they feel that need to make me feel good. I was there, I know that it was crap. Yeah. <clears throat> and so then afterwards, you know, she'll be like, all right, this sucks. And by the way, you're still too fat, and, you, know, <laughs> you know? You know, it's funny because she will talk to me and she's made, not the mistake, but she'll, she has to wear two hats, you know? My wife, and then you know, be a manager basically, you know. And uh, like she says, she's more vested in this than anybody because if I don't do well, her and the kids are going to suffer before anybody else, right? And so, you know, she'll sit there and be like, Yeah, you know, this fat, you shouldn't be eating that. Her friends will be like, Really, your husband, you know, come on. So, look, I'm not talking about like from a woman looking at her husband, you know. I'm saying, as somebody who's like, You know, am I going to pay Frank to you know, to, to, to logo my t shirt when his gut's hanging over his belt? No, right? It's costing us money, you know. So, different outlook
0: now one of the fights uh you fought one of my favorite fighters one of my favorite fighters growing up was Brock Lesnar uh that he was like there was something about Brock that had that Mike Tyson feel to it where he's fighting and you just I, my heart starts pounding I don't know what it was about him maybe because <laughs> you saw him go from pro wrestling to, he was such a freak athlete yes uh really good
2: athlete I mean I mean also too he's one of the top collegiate wrestlers you know, they, so I think it was like 105 and you know, five or something. Yeah. You know, they, they, he could have been a multiple time NCAA champ, but his junior year, he lost to Stephen Neal, who, you know, Stephen Neal went on Made to the win Patriots. the Patriots. Yeah, Dodge. Uh, the, um, what's the award that you win for best yeah, wrestler? Yeah,
0: the Dodge trophy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Hodge Dan, Hodge, Dan yeah, Hodge. Yeah.
2: yeah. In 99, the guy won the Dan Hodge award, won the world championships. The only reason why he didn't go on in 2000 to win the Olympic gold medal is because he got assigned to the Patriots, you know. Right. Now he has like what three Super Bowl rings with them, and you know, you know lives yeah. quite more comfortably. Than he would have lived being a gold medalist in the Olympics.
0: Now, I've heard you, I read an article where you said that when Brock came back after the diverticulitis, he wasn't the same guy that fought you. No. Uh, how do you think he would have done had he never got that disease?
2: I think he would have done really well. Um, he was doing well. I mean, and he was only learning, you know, more. He had, you know, because of his financial resources, he had some of the best trainers and training partners, you know, around him. Uh, great work ethic. I mean, to, to reach that pinnacle of he did in, in college wrestling, the guy has to have a great work ethic. Work uh, ethic. But the problem was, is that when he came back, that diverticulitis, he just his size had dropped, and uh, you know, and athletes are very fickle creatures. You know, you take something away from us that we've had our whole career and all of a sudden you see a guy that was you know uh, you know a world beater and now it changes it's like well what happened you know jordan Burroughs, if all of a sudden you know take away his double leg do you think he's going to be the world champ you Absolutely know what not. Mean? no i mean just one move take it away you know right. what i mean like uh it changes things you know but do what you
0: right? think brock like cuz then now then after he he loses that's when like whenever ronda loses that's when all, everyone starts talking you know And then all of a sudden, then Pat Barry says, well, we sparred together, but when I hit him too hard, they complained. They said, you know, you could only hit me, but I I can't hit you back. And then it became like anyone that tested him (coughs) and sparring got sent home from from death. Do you think he was a bully that didn't have a chin or do you think that wouldn't have mattered because he was such a a force?
2: Uh, You know, I don't know. Uh, Good question. Who knows? I I just know that that whatever he had going for him before the diverticulitis, Dumbo's feather, um, he lost it in that edge, <clears throat> and that edge helped him compete. It gave him a persona and an aura that spread to the guys that he faced. There was guys that he had beaten almost very much like a Mike Tyson. When he walked out to the cage, guys were already you know scared to death and defeated. And so... He lost that aura. Then guys started coming after him, and it started exposing some of the weaknesses he had. Just like how in Mike Tyson, when Mike started moving his head a little bit less, maybe coming forward a little bit less, all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, he's great at this. But after Buster Douglas showed, they're like, well, if you back him up, yeah, and then everybody else follows suit. It's it's funny how the even uh what was it? I think it was in 1954 when someone finally broke, or was it 58? Broke the the world record in the mile. Up to that point, people thought it was medically impossible to run a four-minute mile. Then a guy runs and breaks it by, like, you know, hundreds of a second, you know, uh, tenths of a second. Uh, The next year, like, the top six guys broke it because it's like our brains almost kind of need that reassurance that somebody else can do it. I even saw that with Conor McGregor. I think Connor had a persona going forward that people were terrified. He scared the hell out of Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo in their fight did not look right when he was sitting across the cage. He looked like a man terrified. I think if they fight again, Jose Aldo destroys him all because Jose Aldo sat down and watched him get beat down by Nate Diaz. Diaz. And Mm. that popped whatever illusion and stranglehold that he had over Jose is gone. So now they go and fight each other again. Jose fights. And I think that he wins. It's had like, that not happened, I think that, that there was a psycho- psychological edge. And great to Connor that he did it. He orchestrated that. But through their whole media thing, I think he got into Jose Aldo's head in a, that Jose pulled out of the first fight, you know, the rib injury. Had it been anybody else, I think he would have stayed in that fight. He pulled out, then watches Chad Mendez get beat up. You know, I think that only added to his fear. Right. By the time he fought, you know, Connor, he was, you know,. Dreadfully terrified. That psychological edge is so important in fighting in life. If you really think that something is a monster, it is a monster. That is reality.
1: It's like the fawns on Happy Days. You never saw him fight because he had this reputation that one time he had gotten in a fight and it was so devastating, (laughs) no one wanted to see it again. Meanwhile, it was Henry Winkler. He's like the nicest guy anybody's ever known. They
0: were able to make him into a badass. Now, Now, after the Brock fight, you disappeared for a while. And then you came back, added 50 pounds of muscle. Uh, you were just, I, it was a different Frank Mir. Now, in my head, this is what I, I envision will happen. Every day you wake up, you're fucking pissed. And then you just go to the gym, and you're on like a mission. I mean, is this what happened? Were you just like... Sort of, well, I mean, uh,
2: not quite, 50 pounds of muscle. I did put on some size and strength just because I realized that, that uh, the, the, the era of just out-techniquing guys in the UFC... Was kind of over with. You know, there was no more secrets. You got to remember back. You know, when I trained, you know, Jiu Jitsu first started. You know, uh, big guys sometimes didn't even get shown Jiu Jitsu, like in the '90s and stuff. When guys started training, if you were a big, strong guy and you came into a, you know, a, a Gracie gym, um they kind of, you know, bamboozled you a little bit. They didn't yeah. show the proper techniques, or hey, do this, do that. They kind of almost taught you how to lose to jiu-jitsu and more or less teach you how to beat it and so when i started training I, my first jiu-jitsu coach i even lived with him for a while uh, Ricardo perez you know so i really got in on learning how to do jiu-jitsu and so it got you know very easy the first couple of years of my career other guys just didn't really even know i would sit there in the back room during warm-ups and see guys doing things and like i'm like wow that is not how you stop a triangle I'm like what the hell who's teaching you how to do this did you feel out of place being a bigger man in a jujitsu class uh you know what i think because of my whole life i've always been kind of a, a big guy mm-hmm. or a small guy stuck in a big guy's body yeah. i've always tried to move like a little guy even from when i learned how to wrestle i wanted to know how to do sweeping singles and duck unders and doubles and where other guys you know were doing knee taps and body locks i'm like ah, that's boring you know even when it came to riding guys i remember i was afraid you know, i'd sit there and they do all right big guys you need need to chop and jam a spiral ride and i'm like looking over and going what's he doing like oh he's throwing in the legs i'm all i want to learn how to do that i want to throw right. legs in yeah. like no no heavyweights don't do that i'm all well, that's okay. Then I'd wait till after practice and pull it. Like, wait, what did he show you? Well, he said to do this. And then the coach would be like, what are you doing? You're not that kind of guy. I'm like, well, ah, screw it. Let's try. So even in jujitsu, I would do the same thing. I'd go in there and they'd watch. Like, all right, you know, let's do this. Like, all right, someone go down. I'm like, all right, I'll pull guard. I'm like, wait a minute. You're a big guy. I'm like, ah, it's okay. I'll start on my back. I always wanted to learn how to fight more like a small guy. Yeah, because I just started jujitsu <laughs> maybe about six months ago. And um, there's only about 10 people in my class. I'm about 6'2 right now, like 240 pounds. And everybody else is like 5'10 or below. So I sort of feel
1: like a dickhead if I use all my weight and body size I to don't my worry. advantage. I don't worry about you it. You know what though? <laughs> you know what though? That and uh, it's not being a, I mean it's it's not so much about being a dick, but the thing is if you want to learn, don't let yourself fall back on that. Mm-hmm. Because what I would see is being more of an average sized person. Is you get the big guys that come in, and if you get a big beginner against an average size beginner, the big beginner can just exist on size and strength alone for a while until the skill level exceeds that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, to me, it, the big guys either went one or two directions. They learned along with everybody else, but if they if they fell back on that, uh, you know, I can just crush on top of them until we change partners again or something like that. That doesn't Yeah, you know, I mean, that it's, doesn't it's much better off using technique.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but back to the Brock Lesnar. After, so Afterwards, I mean, when you came back, your first fight was against Congo after that, right? Yeah. I mean, you just were on, like, it was awesome to see. Because there's nothing better to see than a guy come back. You know, a guy, like, because that, that Brock was this rough. And then you came back, and you just destroyed Congo. Uh, caught him with
2: a shot and i turned him into a wrestler (laughs) yeah
0: no that was that was amazing
2: yeah and then uh, then i choked him unconscious
0: yeah that was that was one of i mean because i was so happy for you i was really happy for you because i was like it's just it's just you know i I, it's like i almost felt bad for brock when he came because he uh, the first fight he clearly was very new you know and it was like i was rooting for him but then i was like you kind of showed him bro you can't just this isn't pro wrestling or just regular wrestling. You right. have to know stuff. And then when he came back, it was like he was like he put you in like an, a like a modified headlock, and then was just hitting with his fucking hands, which were bigger than my head. You know, <laughs> I, I remember him getting up, and he was such a dick afterwards. Like you went to shake his hand, and then he was he was running around the cage and and he, you know and I was like man and in my head you must have like had that vision like oh I'm going to fucking get him I'm going to get
2: him I'm going to well, get him actually even afterwards like I think there's a picture of me where I'm bloody and I'm kind of staring at him and he's screaming and I remember I was just kind of like what's going on like the fight's over with because at that point I was so used to you know we fight whether I beat you or you beat me you know hey jump up celebrate for a second but then You shake the other guy's hand. You you see it now, guys, you know, quick hug. Hey, it's over with. You know what I mean? Like, that part's done. But to keep it going, that's what I looked at. And I was like, oh, oh, so this is (laughs) you. Oh, okay. Well, so next time we fight, um, go ahead and tap. I'll take the fine. I'm going to go ahead and take your leg with me. Because last time I held off and looked for the referee and saved you because I realized there was still a sportsmanship aspect to this. Regardless of what, you know, we talked to help sell the fight, you know, it wasn't, you know, go for broke, not a real fight. But then for his behavior afterwards, I'm like, oh, so this is a real fight to you? Okay, well then we'll we'll fight again, and you know we'll, you know now we're one and one. And- well, you said you
0: wanted to be the first guy to ever decapitate him, right? You said you wanted to rip his head off, and then you got in trouble for that? Yeah, something along those lines. I don't remember. Did the UFC call you and say you're not allowed to say you want to uh, kill someone in the in the octagon?
2: Along those words, pretty much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, were you laughing, or were you like, oh, shit? Well, at first,
2: it. you know, yeah, you know, I, I didn't realize that it was an issue at first, and then uh, I realized that I'm different than other people. Just because, you know, other people in the past had said that, you know, even the UFC had put, you know, like BJ Penn saying, you know, to... Uh, you know George you know this is to the death this is for blood I'm not joking and I'm like wait a minute we all kind of talk like that you know I'm gonna kill the guy You know, I mean we're just selling the fight right and then I realized that I am taken more seriously I guess than other people
0: well did you ever see that that thread Frank Mir is the devil on the underground yeah I've seen it it has like (laughs) 10 million hits now (laughs) do you you, you ever actually read it or no
2: I've went through it a little bit yeah I was laughing there's some funny things on there (laughs) That's pretty cool. Some people are pretty witty about it.
0: Oh, absolutely! Those are some of the funniest people I've ever seen. Were on on those threads. I'm just like, Jesus! What you guys should be like paid writers for. <laughs> yeah, I was sitcoms amused by. It. Yeah,
2: but so I mean, I, hey, you know, the uh, only thing I, I guess I regret in the situation was not what I said, but not quickly. The minute I was told that you're not allowed to say that, I just needed to come to grips with that. Where you know, at first I was kind of like that kid that you know, sp- you know, we're all in classroom speaking, and then you single me out like, "Don't talk in class. Go see the principal." I'm like wait a minute. Hold on. So-and-so's yeah, talking. No. This guy's talking. She's over there talking. We're, why am I being singled out? Well, I, I should have just accepted it. to like, all right, okay, I shouldn't be speaking. Take responsibility for my own actions. Well, I, I was at that
1: post-fight press conference, and that scolding is nothing compared to what Brock Lesnar got when he dissed bud light as a sponsor oh, you, you and were coors yeah you remember that yeah because you know i i, I five minutes ago he was the the baddest <laughs> guy in the world and boy that you want to find the, the line to, to cross that was Don't mess it with people's money. They they pulled him back there in the dressing room and boy he came out apologetic and i shouldn't have said that and wow i like bud light and here's <laughs> me holding a can and yeah
0: Well, I I know that Joe Silva got you into mixed martial arts, right? I got you into the.
2: He got me into the UFC. UFC.
0: Now, was he good at jujitsu? Joe Silva. Yeah, he's
2: actually really good at martial arts. Really? Yeah. You
0: would would never like think that. No, he's
2: an avid. I mean, he loves martial arts on that level that he trains it. Uh, You know, obviously, I think you know he was older and you know becoming a fighter. They didn't really. I mean the 125-pound weight class didn't exist, you know. Right, right, right. And so, uh, you know, I think that time kind of passed him over uh, just due to, you know, when he was born. But has a, you know, a real big affinity for it, understands it, and, um, you know, uh, in fact, his body, in fact, I have a funny story about his personality. To me, I think there's a time when, you know, when people say, you never quit. I'm all, well, it's okay to lose a battle, right? But you want to win the war, so... You know, if all of a sudden we're having a day where you're just bashing me with a move, I'm not going to sit there and just keep losing to it. After a while, it's time to say, okay, you know, hey, you know, Adam, I'm done. You know, you, you've smashed me for the last hour. I'm going to go home and figure out how to win and beat this move, and I'll come back and see you tomorrow, so next week, or whenever our next training session is. Uh, that's not Joe's personality. So one time, you know, and he's big on calling bullshit on moves. So, uh, you know, certain moves, if he sees it and goes, ah, that don't work, that's pain. And it actually helped even influence my jujitsu, where I'm like, yeah, you're right. Why train a move that will make a guy tap in practice because it hurts? Because in the fight, he's probably not going to tap. Even like, you know, certain like, you know, like bicep slicers. Or or- yeah, neck crank, bicep slicers, you know, different kind of uh, pain holds, you know. Uh, and so um, uh, I'm in the gym with Phil Baroni at the time we're training together. <laughs> And Phil has this move called the fillotine. And, and, <laughs> and basically it's a guillotine or a front headlock, you know what I mean, where he just has the head. And he puts the back of your head on his chest. He Tyrannosaurus wrecks his arms, pulls him up real tight. And he has your, his hands on your windpipe. Aww. So it's not a blood choke, but it's a windpipe choke. Yeah. And to get leverage, he basically pulls you up. And so it's a standing kind of guillotine. And I forgot what fight he actually used it in. Where he put the guy's butt against the cage. and you know, And you can pass out from it uh it works best if you can back someone against the cage and drive their butt and now you have a base to to work against your fulcrum and your, their head is the lever right and so he's just doing it out in the open and i'm like man that is a devastating you know you tap pretty quick to it when you feel your windpipe being crushed mm-hmm. up against your you know your throat and so joe being joe's looking at it and he's like i think I, I can get out of that so i'm like really and i think what joe thought was that somehow he's going to do like a front flip or something oh no way <laughs> so so Phil being Phil goes ahead and like all right, I'll put you in it. And I'm like looking, I'm like, man, this is nothing good is about to come of this. Right. So sure enough, Joe Silva puts his head down, Phil Baroni wraps his hands around his neck and fully applies the filletine. So now Joe's feet are about twelve inches off the ground and he's being dangled and now Phil, to get him to tap, is bouncing him. And Joe tried to like kick his legs over to try to get out of it, right? And now his legs come back down, and it's not going to get him out. He's in. Right. This is a good move. You're not getting out, Joe. Right. But he's not asleep yet. So I'm like, Joe, okay, Joe, j- just tap. Joe, tap. Please tap. You know, I'm like, Phil, he's not going to tap. Fuck it. You're going to break his neck. Stop. He's all, no, no. So finally, thank God, Joe Silva finally taps. He sets him down. And he goes, you know, I really wasn't going out. And he's starting to, like, <laughs> like fade, <laughs> and stop, and like he takes a knee, his whole neck from his you know, from the bottom of his chin to the top of his sternum was already purple. Wow. So from all the blood vessels that were breaking in his neck. He didn't neck. have
0: much of a neck either. Oh, yeah. I mean,
2: that's- I'm like looking at him, I'm like, oh, God. I mean, you were seconds from losing consciousness and getting your neck broken. Because, I mean, you know, from football yeah. or wrestling, you don't want to take impact with your head down. Right. And that's exactly how you're taking this energy right now. Is basically the guy has your throat and he's driving your head down. If there's a way to break a human neck... That's one of them. And Phil Baroni is the kind of guy yeah, to do that. He's not the skinniest dude in the world. <laughs> you know, he's kind of strong.
0: Phil <laughs> Baroni is one of my favorite guests on the podcast because... He just, he has story after story after story. Yeah. And it's like, and I love calling him. Cause <laughs> it'll be two in the afternoon. Hey, where are you? I'm at a new uh, strip club that Chuck Zito opened up. And uh, it's just, he it, it has so many crazy stories. Phil Baroni has, uh, he's one of my favorite people. He, he had a story about how he used to train girls and uh, he would have sex with them to get them to buy more sessions. And then. <laughs> I go. What about their husbands? He's like. I, they, he's like. Sometimes they would shake my hand, and, and like uh, he just has so many. I think that's prostitution. <laughs> like, Peroni's one of my favorites. Dirty whore. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. Uh, he's a legend. Uh, all right. So let's go over some of the fights this week. Um, uh, Rockhold Bisbing. Who do we like? Bisbing. You like Bisbing? Mm. Joe if, likes. If Bisbing. I had to put money on it, it's Rockhold but I want Bisbing to win.
1: Okay.
2: It's... Is that one of those phrases where your brain goes with uh, yeah, Rockhold yeah, yeah. but your heart goes with Bisbing? Yeah.
1: <clears throat> I just think Rockhold is a more complete fighter. I just think he's got more ways to win. I mean, Bisbing's footwork is going to look great. His striking is going to look great. But uh, uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in, in how did things go the first time these two guys matched up. The first time they matched up, Luke Rockhold became the one and only person to ever submit Michael Bisbing. So
2: yeah, I still feel that in the grappling range, uh, Rockhold's gonna have a huge advantage. You know, what I mean, it's just he's strong. Some of the training partners he has are just the best guys in the world to work with. I mean, he's constantly in the room with Kane and uh, and DC. So, and we've seen that in the in the Weidman fight. I didn't think I thought Weidman would outgrapple him, and you saw that. You know, that's where the, one of the biggest differences in that fight really occurred is once he got his hands on uh, uh, Chris. And so I think that you know, again, I, I kind of agree with you. I think the footwork is awesome. He's in a, you know, he's a fast guy. He's able to move in and out, and he's such a great mixed martial artist. But I think range and reach and the fact that it's a five-round fight, and eventually Rockwell's going to get a hold of him, and you know that's when he's going to go ahead and impose his will.
0: What concerns me about this fight is that during the the, the stare-down a couple hours ago, Bisbing's like, I'm going to beat you on two-week notice. <laughs> two-week notice. But... Even by saying that, I feel like he was giving himself an out.
2: Yeah, it's already a built-in excuse.
0: Yeah, like right before yeah. the fight even starts. But you know I'm what? Beating you There's are... no
2: losers in it because if Bisbing doesn't come, if he comes up short and doesn't win, already he's kind of spoken about. I know he wants to win a title, but he's kind of already in a, in a in a in a in a realm that actually you first brought my attention to. That if we think about it, if right now we had to put a list of who the best fighters in the UFC are that never won a title. And Bisbee might be at the top of the list.
0: And also, who the best guy that never tested positive for anything? Because you look at all mm-hmm. the guys he's fought, who he's lost to. I mean, even Chael, which was a very close fight. He, he was on TRT. We know Vitor Belfort. Uh, we know, I mean, Vanderlei Silva back then, but who knows? I mean, he later on ran away from a test. Uh, even Kung Lee, who he beat, who was on, I mean, tested positive, and then he didn't, and then he did not then he did but it just that's that's four guys that he's he's fought that have been on the juice, and it just which is kind of unfortunate because uh, it's either like I mean, what's your stance on, on steroids?
2: I don't think they matter.
0: You Don't think they matter?
2: No, not at all. I think that uh, I've been in the gym and I train with guys that aren't professional fighters, and I, I tend to notice that the guys that you know try to take drugs, there is no magic bullet. It doesn't help. I mean, it might help you train a little bit. Like even I did the TRT there for a while. And uh, it helped more in my personal life as far as feeling better. And, you know, I go to get out of bed. I'm like, ah, I actually can, you know, get to the bathroom without, you know, warming up. This isn't so bad, you know. But as far as any kind of edge, it's like "Ah," if you start taking stuff to look like a bodybuilder, you take things to that extreme. It's actually detrimental because, I mean, you can Google steroids right now. One of the first side effects is it raises your blood pressure. Well, what athlete wants his blood pressure to but be But then okay? how
0: do you explain Vitar Belfort's like Magic Feather? destroy it. What do you mean by
2: that? Magic feather. That's kind of like, you know, going back to, I think that's what happened to Brock, to be honest with you, since we're on the topic of steroids. I think the diverticulitis, because steroids lowers your immune system, he wasn't able to take steroids anymore. So I think that's what killed him, because he wasn't able to be on the juice. And so, if you get someone like Vitor Belfort, who, when he's on TRT, is a world beater, even if he's just as good off of it, but maybe it changes his physique a little bit, takes maybe a little pep out of his step. But if you think about it, it doesn't really change him. If we were to do an athletic you know, test on and be like well he lost two percent it's like how much is two percent like yeah but psychologically how much have you lost if you're somebody that's always had to perform on it that's why i didn't start trt till i was in my 30s and so when they said okay we can't allow it anymore all right so when i came back after not being on it I had two knockouts in a row i didn't have any psychological edge of going man well now i'm not on it well i fought almost my whole career unde- not on you were
0: undefeated you yeah such like such time yeah, so i mean
2: but i can see where if somebody like it's almost like i said they're dumbo's feather if you're a guy who's always competed on juice and now i take it away from you well how much do you really lose probably not a lot but Belfort
0: was throwing like it was like a video game on psychological you think it was that's really Yeah,
2: i think it's psychological i think all of a sudden he gets off of it and now he doesn't think he is as good and now it's like well we all know. I mean, you coach kids. How much is self-belief? How oh, important is that? Everything. Comedy. Right. Everything.
0: everything so if you, I, you
2: go up on there on stage or on a performance and you think that you're going to suck, how good are you possibly going to be? <laughs> you're going to suck. You're going to suck. But if we look at it and go, okay, what? Let's go ahead and get a bench press, a vertical jump, a 40-yard dash. We're going to run a mile. We're going to test you before and after and see what how much it really helps. Well, it helps out like on an elite level where you're an Olympic gold medalist and the difference between winning and losing is a hundredth of a second. Then yeah, it's gonna help, but it isn't gonna all of a sudden. I mean, look, there was only one Barry Bonds. Yeah, How, if Juice was that dramatic of a, you know, everybody would be hitting sixty so, home runs a season. By the
0: way, what it is, was? It someone said kangaroo meat. You tested positive for her. what? We you, don't know. Did you eat kangaroo meat? In Australia? Yeah, I did. And you think that's might, might have been it? I have no idea. I just know
2: that I never took the drug that they told me that I supposedly take. I'm like, so wait a minute. Um, I'm, I'm towards the end of my career. My whole career, I've never taken anything. When I did want to take TRT, I went to the doctors. I did everything the right way. Uh, every time I've had any kind of TUE, therapeutic use exemption, I've followed suit. And so now a fight where I get paid the same whether I lose or win, and I'm going into the Hall of Fame months later and possibly have a career in commentating, I take a chance now. They came to my house six weeks before the fight, randomly knocked on my door. I gave blood and urine. I passed that test. And the night of the fight, the test that I know that I'm going to take, the one that we kind of nicknamed the IQ test amongst other athletes, That's the one I fail. I can't figure out how to get past that test.
0: So how long are you suspended for? Two
2: years. But the only good news coming about it, there's a a baseball player, Chris uh, uh, Colabello, right, who also tested positive for this substance. I found out there's like six guys in baseball. Since they've changed the way that this test... Two years ago, now all of a sudden they're coming up positive. They're passing tests, failing tests, and then it's, it's not really any consistency behind it. So now the baseball uh, uh, union has gotten together and they're actually having a separate lab come in and look at this new test, realizing that there could be some faulty uh, you know testing on this. Because it's not even like they have a case study where they're like, well, this is what it's going to be. They basically have a pool sample where they pull someone else's urine that they go, okay, take this drug, we're going to take your urine, now we're going to test against that.
0: So, I mean, are, do you think you're done as far as fighting? or No,
2: I, I'm hopefully, uh, you know, I, I don't know. There's some things that I hope for, but I don't want to be a dick. You thought about out.
0: Ryzen or uh, one of those? There's co- definitely
2: some different options because right now I'm technically suspended by the UFC, not by an athletic commission. So let's say UFC releases me tomorrow. I can go ahead and fight in Bellator. I can go fight in Ryzen. I can go over to Russia. I can go anywhere.
0: Well, i get some good money in that uh, Venator that those guys yeah. are all fighting. And there's right?
2: a couple of good fights I could still make of it. And I mean, I just turned 37 last week. So, right. you, know, number, you know, waiting two years, that's going to suck. Yeah. Would you consider doing like any like jujitsu tournament things like EBI? or Yeah. Like chill but as of right things? now, supposedly I can't do anything. Oh, so I'm kind of wow. trying to write it out here for a little bit and see what's going on with mm-hmm. the, the what they're trying to go with this. So I'm trying to play along. But, uh, you know, obviously my goal is to go ahead and just, you know... You know, I got a wife and I have three kids. You know, they're in private school. One that's already moved out of the house. But, uh, you know, I, I can't not work for uh, two years. Right. And that's another thing, too. They said that I can't do any kind of commentating for them either. So that's it's one of those things where I'm like, uh, yeah, Well, they right. can't
0: stop you from podcasting. <laughs> no. no. God, that, but, but also, it. it's just... Yeah. I, I mean, if I... I don't know what I would do if I were you, but I would... If they're going to... This nonsense, I, I would... Ryzen, you versus Vanderlei well, Silva. Here's my point, is that
2: in the past, too, we've shown that drug tests aren't 100%. There's people that lost their custody of their kids because they're like, oh, the test shows that you had cocaine in your system. Then later on, through other tests, they came back and found out, oh, man, I'm sorry, but this cough that syrup or me. this nasal spray will cause a false positive. So now this molecule, this test that's relatively new, all of a sudden is showing that, you know, that it's causing a positive. All of us tested. That's another thing, too. All the guys show the same level of metabolites in our system. We're on the low end of the level. So I'm like, so these seven guys you've randomly tested, you know, through baseball, through fighting, all of us were at the same point in our cycle.
0: Oh, that's weird. That's weird, right? Yeah. Like, what
2: are the chances that all of us, nobody <laughs> hit high on the, the, the metabolites? No we're chance. all low? Yeah. So you, you happen to catch all of us in the six-week period after we've taken the drug? And then someone goes, well, the test is relatively new. It's only two years old. I'm like... Well, I've passed all the tests until a couple months ago, which means that if I took this drug, I relatively Plus, knew I to your take body. It. No offense, but uh. eh, it doesn't look like <laughs> I juice. Right? That's another <laughs> thing. Well, it was funny. One of my trainers who does my strength training goes, "Hey, there's no way." He goes, "If you took that drug, we would notice like within two weeks." He goes, "He said the same thing." No offense, man, but you're not really moving like a guy who's on shit. You know? What oh, <laughs> like, that's so funny. <laughs> you don't really look the part, you know? And like I said, if you look at my. Uh, photos over the years i look like a guy who's gotten older yeah, i mean i could probably buckle down and get myself in better shape but it's going to take a lot of effort i don't look like i look no, like people were saying that
0: they, they called you dad bod mir that was that, that was your nickname yeah. but uh, dad bod mir was, was on a roll and that's you, me you, i mean you, but you were, you were i mean you first you beat bigfoot then you beat duffy i mean you were you know two knockouts in a row yeah I was I was pretty awesome yeah, and, I,
2: and in my opinion i mean obviously i'm biased but i thought i beat uh, andre
0: oh i thought you did too I 100% thought that. Yeah. So, I mean, I thought
2: that first round I could give to him, but I thought the second and third round I easily won, so.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, Uriah Faber versus Dominic Cruz. Man, this is a hard one because I almost almost think that mentally Faber's got him for some odd reason. Really? You think he broke into him? I, I kind of feel like he sort of, like, there's something about Faber that really pisses off Cruz that he doesn't have against his other opponents, but physically and just... Where they are, I, th- I think that Dominic's going to win. But for some reason, Faber just rubs Dominic really the wrong way, and I see him getting under his skin like no one else is getting under his skin. Uh, so, But I still think Cruz is going to win this fight.
1: I You know, I, I actually just talked to both those guys at the press conference a couple hours ago at the forum, and, uh, you know, I asked Uriah Faber about what he envisioned his title run being like at this point in his a his career the fact that cody garbrandt is coming on you know would he i know he never wanted to fight tj when that was a teammate if all things work out for garbrandt you know a couple of big quality wins he might be knocking on the door and uriah uh talked a lot about a super fight with conor mcgregor i mean just big name fights you know and that's if he you know regardless of whether or not he wins the title the question I asked Dominic Cruz was, uh, in the years that have passed since your second fight, uh, had, I know you're a an accomplished analyst. As you game plan fights in your mind, knowing you'd probably cross paths with Faber again, uh, have you updated your game plan at all? And he's like, nope, fights the same way. And then he went on to break it down, you know, told me all the... And so, to me... It's one guy is really in. Uh, Cruz is is thinking about that third fight with Faber. I think Faber, and understandably so, because of how marketable he is, is a guy with options. It, win it, or lose. it seems
0: like that not only in fighting. It just seems like Dominic Cruz is kind of a fight nerd. Where he, he like I, yeah. I, I've hung out with him, and he he's, he's a one track. Like he'd be a great serial killer because he's just so focused on he's one very thing.
2: Intelligent in fighting,
0: very intelligent, but also like doesn't party doesn't really get distracted, doesn't have that much going for him other than fighting. And not that he couldn't, but he doesn't. Yeah. Whereas Uriah has a movie he was doing with Craig Robinson. He's running Team Alpha Male. I mean, he gets pussy like I've never seen. He He's, he's, he's <laughs> managing people. He's got all this other shit going on. And, you, and, and he also has a – he's got a big ego, which is in some ways – Suits him. Some guys, fighters, they have big egos, and it kills them. Yeah. Other guys, I think it helps them. And uh, I think he's got a big ego, but it does seem like he's thinking of other things. Yeah. Frank?
2: Yeah. Uh, those are a lot of good, valid points. Uh, I guess me being more than nerd, I guess, in this situation, looking at it technically, and uh, I still think that the footwork of Dominick Cruz is difficult for Uriah to land that shot. I know that he was able to land the punch uh, in their second meeting. But, uh, you know, after enough rounds, I mean, at that point, you know, you think it's going to, you know, eventually going to catch him. But I think that, uh, you know, that kind of just really uh, refocused uh, uh, Dominic and knowing that in their matchup, looking out for it. Because if you think about it, you know, Uriah doesn't have a left hook, anything to fade him. Like, okay, well, if he constantly goes this direction, what do I have? To keep him back, he kind of throws the left kick. Well, he'll step forward after combination, but it's not a devastating shot. It's not nothing that's going to catch or hurt Dominic. And uh, wrestling-wise, you know, Uriah is a phenomenal counter-wrestler, but I don't think he's the the greatest offensive wrestler. He doesn't really take the shots as much as he's very dangerous at you taking shots on him, especially he's always a threat with that guillotine. Whereas I think actually even uh, people might not think of that right off the hand, offensively, I think Dominic Cruz is probably the better wrestler.
0: Cruz is a better high school wrestler favorite wrestled in college. Yeah. But like like
2: you said when it comes to MMA wrestling there's like four moves you need to know. Uh, I, I, cruz I mean, has a great knee tap he has the double um you know he puts guys down i mean you really saw even in tj dillashaw you know yeah. you, you everybody talked about the footwork going back and forth came down to the wrestling i mean dominic cruz is the only guy I mean, to hand mighty mouse uh, a loss there in the ufc right mm-hmm. he did it with his wrestling you know obviously mighty mouse is one of the fastest guys there is uh, even uh you know um mighty mouse's last opponent uh Henry Cejudo? Uh, the Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't, you know, wasn't doing much wrestling-wise. <laughs> That's right. unbelievable. But I there you there. go. Crazy. You know, I mean, obviously that fight was, you know, years past, you know, and Don, or, you know uh, uh, um, Johnson's improved. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it just shows you that, you know, in wrestling matches, I mean, you really can't take away from Dominic's wrestling. You know, everybody, because of his footwork and the way he moves, which is very much of a puzzle for people to figure out, they have a hard time with. But I think the thing that people forget about it's like, yeah, why he's doing all that and dancing around, and you're trying to figure out how to hit him and not get hit back. Boom! All of a sudden, he blasts you with a knee tap, throws you down, and now he's on top of you. You know who who hit you the hardest out of all your fights? Oh, Mark Hunt, the last fight. Mark, oh, that was more most... than Carwin. Oh yeah.
0: Wow. And now who do you think you hit the hardest, <sighs> Duffy? Right? Yeah,
2: Duffy. I probably caught him with the best shot, yeah, and that was him. He threw that lazy, kind of weird right that hook. That
0: was so crazy. Like it was like. It's just so funny I mean because Duffy's A pretty good striker Yeah I mean he fought K1 He didn't do that well But he still fought K1 mm. Against Overeem But it's like It's like when you get hurt I, I asked him about that I go You know Duffy I, I thought you had Great boxing But everyone was saying that Like you were He goes man When you get punched Like your fundamentals Sometimes go out the door yeah. He's like when you're Looking at the room <laughs> Yeah <laughs> And it's tilted Yeah because I
2: mean and, and to his defense I caught him with a couple Shots against the cage Um if you go back and watch the fight, his legs started kind of breaking down. It's just that he's a strong guy, I didn't catch him cleanly, but it doesn't mean they didn't have an effect on him. Right. So even when we went against the cage, he pushed off and backed off. Uh, you know, he landed a good jab, and then I, was, I wasn't I was stunned. I mean, so I was still able to keep about my fundamentals, so when I stepped outside his foot and he stepped in, I saw the opportunity and I just threw the, the shot really hard.
0: Now two guys that you fought are fighting, Arlovski Barnett, who wins that fight?
2: Uh, it just kind of depends. I think Orlowski's a hard guy to, to catch and get a hold of. If Barnett, if Orlowski stops throwing punches and stops moving, and Barnett's able to get on top of him and grab him, I think that he's able to grind him. And Barnett's good at that dirty kind of grind, you know, throwing knees from the clinch, trying to get on top of you on the ground, uh, grappling wise. But if uh, you know if, on, if he's not able to corner Andre if Andre's able to stay on his bicycle for uh, three rounds, Andre picks him apart with boxing.
0: Barnett may be the scariest guy I've ever interviewed oh, yeah. he has no emotion yeah uh, that's true and he says some of the most fucked up shit with a straight face I'm like, this dude seriously like one day it might come up where he had like 40 murderers <laughs> like because he, he's legitimately like scary like, it's so funny like he, he, he's a nice guy yeah, but yeah. if he likes you. But he's legit. I was like uncomfortable. Like get me the fuck out of here. He's, he's a little off. He's a little off. Yeah. He's a little off. Not as
2: good at hiding it as some people.
0: No, <laughs> everyone's. I mean, obviously, comedians, fighters were all a little fucking off, you know. Uh, but he's uh, he was the only one. And then Roy Nelson might have been the biggest jerk to me. Like we actually get along now but he was a guy I was in a room with and was just like you're not funny I'm funnier than you and like it was just me and him and he was just being a total jerk and I was like hey Roy look you're obviously a very funny person why don't you open up for me I'll get you there a spot you at the laugh at the, at the at the LA conference. Yeah. and he's like really I'm yeah. like yeah right so then so then he actually uh, called the club and, and did it and then he like chickened out because then I was like hey Roy really? you're going to do it he's like oh that wasn't me he pretended it, he was, it wasn't him oh, but yeah. I was like alright Roy let's see you're very funny yeah us no, see if you it's stand funny, it's, it's funny the you know,
1: we were talking about that with Bert Kreischer earlier about like the, the open micer syndrome where you know it's like the first time they're going to go up and they're like you only want me to do five minutes because I've got like 25 yeah. I mean I've got a whole <laughs> solid set together that's why
2: know, like, again we were talking about we yeah. went to the live show of the fighter and the kid and all of a sudden, Brendan walks up on stage, grabs a mic, and he had about a, what, a 10-minute yeah. opening? Have Blew my mind. It? He was good. Yeah. I'm, like, yeah. Yeah. I'm good well. sitting there, and obviously, yeah. I'm not, a, you know, I'm like I'm like a guy who's never fought watching yeah. a fight going, he's good, right? He's yeah. good, you know? So that's why I looked over at yeah. you as the expert. I'm like, hey, you know, Rich, I, I'm thinking he's good, man. I mean, am I yeah. right? I, I mean, you
1: know what? I think it's something that, you know, everybody should experience at least one time if they can. And, you know, since since you just started in jiu-jitsu, I'll tell you, like, just, I'm sure you're going to stick with it a long time, but do a tournament. Like, just have the experience of doing a tournament because I did. that was a huge, like, personal accomplishment right. in my life getting into jiu-jitsu way late, and for me... That's probably because because Frank and I have talked about this, like how he you know he might want to try. Yeah, a, I'm going to try uh, to get up there. A, an Stand up. Yeah, but I'm going to be a little
2: bit something. more prepared. I realize. to do it <laughs> July
0: Fourth weekend in Vegas
1: if
2: we
0: can uh, work
1: All on right. it. All right, I'm oh, certainly shit. glad you brought that up, yes. Adam, because we we probably should, if you don't mind, we should probably kind of discuss our plans a little bit, what yes. we're going to do for International Fight Week. So uh, basically, I had uh, you know I, I I called Adam up and I said. You know, Frank and I have, have been wanting to do our podcast, uh, uh, Phone Booth Fighting, live. We've done it live a couple of times, but we really wanted to do it in a big way for uh, International Fight Week. And we were really inspired by you know what we saw a fighter and the kid do when we went to their show and that sort of thing. And I said, you know, International Fight Week, we're going to have a built-in audience. Well, the first guy I thought of was you, Adam, not only because of MMA Roasted, <laughs> but also because I knew you'd be doing a week's worth of stand-up there uh, at uh, the Stratosphere, the L.A. Comedy Club. And I said, you know, maybe what we could do is like a little... Podcast to Palooza. Yeah. Uh, you know, we put maybe uh, two or three podcasts together. Let's uh, do our shows. We'll do it roundtable style. We'll kind of verbally jam and stuff like that. You like the idea. So we're Love basically, it. yeah. it's going to happen. We're getting it together.
0: You so talked to get, Joaquin?
1: Yeah. We've got to decide what night uh, we're going to do it. But just for your listeners, I think, you know, preliminarily, we're thinking of like uh, either the Wednesday or the Thursday of International Fight Week. That's So it'll be in yeah. addition to your live stand up show. There'll be a bonus show. People People can come see, watch us do uh, our, our uh, live show. We'll do some Q and A, and maybe, yeah, maybe that's what yeah, we'll do. Right. Is uh, we'll. I think you'd be a great comic, a little,
0: uh, and uh, I mean Frank Trigg. I had, did, did comedy. Uh, he, did, he did it one time. I could
2: see him doing that. Yeah, he was yeah. pretty
0: funny. Uh, but the thing about, I think you'd be great at comedy because of your jujitsu. You know, breaking down stuff. Because that's uh, being a yeah. good comic is being a good problem solver, right. and it's not just like fighting. Like you can't just go out there and just. Just throw fucking wing punches. Yeah, you can't wing it. You get killed. Same thing with jiu-jitsu. People are like the problem with like people say to me like, "Hey, I want to do comedy." Like McCorkle's, like, how much money can I make doing it? Well, no, I'm that's like, the wrong reason. I'm like <laughs> that's like I'm like that's like me saying I want to be a black belt. Uh, how long is it going to take me? You know, yeah. it's like you got to go to the mat for you, you actually have to. Yeah. grapple you can't you have to go to practice and, uh, and that's what comedy is It's just practice 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 uh, but I think you'll be really good at it for uh, real give it a shot really
2: yeah I'll do a little bit of studying though just yeah, like we're gonna, I don't want to uh, walk into my jiu-jitsu tournament with no training no yeah. not at all
0: no we're gonna I'll we're, be like dude
2: whose friend yeah, are you yeah no, we're, gonna, we're gonna work on Frank's, uh, Frank's set
1: but you're right Adam to pick up on that because I think one thing Frank does a good job of is, in terms of uh, being analytical is understanding game plans and like one I know that, that a real important moment in, in in me doing stand up comedy was when I learned to partition bits where like they could have uh, emergency escape exits that the audience wouldn't know about. But if it's not doing that well, you can move on, you know, because I remember in the early days. I'm like, nope, this takes two minutes and 23 seconds yeah. to say. And I've got to say every second of it. And that was, you know, it's well, kind of com- like- well,
0: comedy's One of those things that the only way you get better is by failing. Right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. for every 10 jokes you write, maybe two will work which means eight jokes aren't going to work, which means you got to be eating a dick eight times on stage going, Hey, this is funny, right? Boom. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing is, is that eventually you have enough jokes where you could throw in the new ones where, you know, you have, if I have 45 minutes of material, all right, I know I got a tight, I got 40, it's going to work. And then the five minutes I could just sort of sneak in on the crowd, you know, but it's just, it's just funny. I mean, I mean, just like a humbling experience. Like, I did The Tonight Show, first time I did Leno, uh, and I had a great set, blah, 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 I was thrilled, I was like, on top of the world, you know, you did The Tonight Show, every comic stream, next day I leave for a, a cruise ship. I'm doing a cruise ship the next day, and literally the next day, the next night, I'm on a cruise, and I do a joke, and a joke bombed. And I go, listen, just so you know, yeah. last night I did it on Leno. Yeah. And some lady goes, I didn't laugh then either. Oh! I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh man. I was just like, fuck. <laughs> I
2: was like, I couldn't. At least even... if it's going to be painful and yeah. funny. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. I had
0: to, of course. But it was just like, oh man. I, was like, I turned bright red. I was like, oh, you fucker. And everyone starts laughing at that, at her, you know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, so, all right. Let's let's let's, let's do uh, two more fights, and then uh, we'll call it a podcast. <laughs> Dan Henderson, Hector Lombard. Uh, I think you know, ten years ago, I would give this fight to Dan Henderson. Now, I just think Hector. I just think he's just going to catch him early. He's dangerous in one round, and I think that's when Hendo is probably going to be the most susceptible to a punch, which Hector will probably land at one eighty-five. And I said, a fight going one round, Frank. Mm.
2: I'm actually going with Hindu on this for the reason being that when I watch Hector fight, he fights very upright, uh, you know, very much of a good posture, which is great for judo and for foot sweeps or for a Greco stance. Uh, but he doesn't really bend at the waist to move and kind of slip punches. He kind of has the fact that he's able to, he's such a great athlete and he's so ferocious that his offense is kind of his defense. People don't want to stand there and throw at him because he's throwing at them. Uh, I think that's a bad combination because, Hendo's going to be able to hit people when he's 60 hard. The guy has an incredible right hand. I've seen him knock people out with the left hook, too. I mean, he put, you know, uh, Vandale Silva, you know, it looked like a cartoon when he fought him here at Pride in in Vegas, you know, threw him off his feet with the left hook. So, that being the case, it has to slow down because that, if if Hector comes in there throwing, you know, high, you know, to hell, just asses and elbows coming after him, he's going to be open for that shot. So that is his best opportunity to win is to overwhelm the old man, you know, to say, to go out there and try to just, you know, I'm young, I'm athletic, I'm going to overwhelm you. But overwhelming an old man that hits like a truck is going to be a mistake. So then if he pulls back and tries to feel him out and, and score shots... That's a problem because Hendo's grappled his whole life. So he can grab onto him and start wearing and breaking him down, has that kind of wrestling mentality that from the clinch he can grind him. And I think that's a problem for Hector. He's kind of a racehorse. He's, you know, for five minutes the guy looks like a god, you know. But I think that he's such a high-octane output type of athlete that he doesn't have that gas tank. Not because he doesn't train hard. He just doesn't have that kind of muscle fiber to go on for long-distance fights unless he holds back. If he goes and fights and throws it out, I think he's extremely dangerous, but it's a risk. Rich,
1: well, I'll tell you what. Uh, shall I issue the the Dan Hendo, yes, Henderson edict? He
2: has a very personal uh, tie to this. I yes. do.
1: Dan Henderson is the only fighter in the UFC who is older than me. Whoa! And not by much.
0: He's seventy. Uh, well, you
2: said <laughs> <laughs> whoa pretty funny. <laughs> I'll wait for go on.
1: I didn't laugh then either. All right, go on. Uh, <laughs> No, but he uh, – and and so when he goes, there will never be another, you know? And it's like – so for that reason, I need him, you know? I need him <laughs> right where he uh, he is. It's like a, a horrible rite of passage that, you know, it's the day you wake up and you realize, you know, it's, at some point the president's going to be younger than you. There's going to be things that happen. Yeah, if he
0: gets knocked out, are you going to give him mouth-to-mouth like Lamar Odom? Or? Hey, yeah, absolutely.
1: In <laughs> mount. Yeah, listen, I can uh, I can absolutely handle that for him. So, I, you know, but I like – I like I – like, Frank's thinking in that there is something to be said for the old hand that can drag you into the deep waters. And if you are, uh, if you were to sort of sketch out an opponent that could possibly fall prey to that, I guess it could be Hector Lombard because of, you know. Front-running abilities and things like that. So uh, you know, call it wishful thinking, but uh, I'd, I'd I'd like to see Hendo get back on the winning side of things.
0: Yeah, me too. I mean, I that the only thing that really concerns me here. One of the things me, is that beating that that uh, Hector took in the Neil Magny fight. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean that was what. Oh yeah, like you know what? That's true. A hundred long ago. A hundred unanswered yep. punches. That was come on. That's right. That was your was that your yeah. same yeah. Same that car. was. That was so hard to watch. Like
2: he was about to get stopped in the first round, Neil, yeah. And then he survived the beating. And then Hector kind of shut down, <clears throat> and he got caught in that arm bar. And Hector yeah. used so much energy, in my opinion, to get out of it. He kind of powered out of it. Didn't really have technique or finesse his way through it. And that blew his load. He just, you know, that yeah. was so much energy. Yeah. You know, you know. If you shoot a double on somebody the wrong way, you hold yeah. your breath, you elevate him, you'll get it done. But when you land on the mat, you're going to need three or four breaths to catch yourself again. And and, and do, Neil didn't give him those three or four breaths.
1: And also, as many unanswered punches as, as uh, Neil Magny hit him with, uh, how how many punches would Dan Henderson have needed to put him out? No. You know, and uh, so five.
2: Dan yeah. lands five. You've seen him just yeah. even when he threw the uppercut on uh, uh, Fedor back at Strike yeah. Force That wasn't like he had he he winded up from, you know, from the the back door up. He he threw the shot. He already had him hurt. I mean, and it crushed, uh, crushed uh, Fedor. I mean, still, even in all of of Dan Henderson losses, you haven't seen him land a shot on somebody and then brush it off. Mm -hmm. They might avoid the shot and out, you know, and get past it and beat him down that way. But no one's eating leather from him and walking through it. Speaking of Fedor, so Chael Sonnen recently said Fedor sucks and that he would kill Fedor in a fight. Do you believe that? If he could not get caught with a shot, you know what I mean, which anybody at the heavyweight, I would give Chael a really good chance. Because even if you look at uh, problems that Neil or that, that uh, Fedor's had in the past is the wrestling aspect. I think that good wrestlers actually give him a hard time. Um, if you look at even when he first lost his uh, uh, Sambo World Championship, you know, before he went to lose fights in MMA, he lost to a guy who was a very good grappler that avoided taking shots from him. In the Brett Rogers fight, when you saw a guy who could grapple and push him down, and Brett Rogers is nowhere near the grappler that Chael Sonnen is, you've seen a guy who struggled and Fedor ended up beating him, but ended up knocking him out after you know the round enabled him to get back up to his cage, in between or, uh, his feet, because of the round changes. And then in the fight with uh, Bigfoot Silva, Bigfoot Silva laid on him and was able to grapple him down. I think that that's a little bit of a hole in, in Fedor's game that didn't really get exploited in the ring because in a ring wrestling isn't as detrimental. You can lay against the K the ropes. It's harder to secure a single in the cage you can't escape wrestling. You, know, you either have to be good at it, but you're not going to use the ropes to slide or sleek away from it. So if they were to fight in a cage, I'd give Chael a really good opportunity. If they fight in a boxing ring, I actually think that Fedor would have the better advantage. Did you ever train with uh, Kevin Randleman? No. Well, he was in the gym a couple times. I actually never got to move with him.
0: I wonder, because like, someone said like if Kevin Randleman was around today, had a real camp, like a Jackson Wink, He'd be the UFC champion. That's what Baroni was saying. I mean, do you think that, like, as far as pure athletic ability, he was the the best you've seen? Uh the guy would jump over the over the ropes.
2: Yeah, I mean, he is a great athlete. Uh, is that factor alone going to make him uh, the world champ? I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's too. Uh, too many facets to winning the belts i mean you sit there and try to put your uh, your finger on it you know sit there and go well this attribute being a great athlete and a great wrestler <clears throat> is that going to be the the tell-all it's like well well why is john jones a champ you know what i mean like what makes him so good you can sit there and go well is it his reach i'm like well steven struve has a, a reach you know well it's this it's like well that guy has that well it's his wrestling well this guy can wrestle you know it's a combination of so many different factors that that and they have to mesh well together
0: cormier we, jones too who do you got
2: Ah, oh, oh. Jones. I think the Jones broke him. If you watch that fight, you know, after Jones landed in a couple of the body kicks, <clears throat> in between rounds when Bob Cook was like, come on, man, don't you want to win? And then you just seen DC just kind of cave. Said, I'm trying, he said. Yeah. That and then afterwards, that walk and then even his post-fight conference, he really got owned by somebody in a way that he didn't believe could happen. Right. So he at least he went into that fight with the confidence, like, well, I can out wrestle him. You know, the guy might be able to, you know, strike and he's a better striker and his kicks, you know, and his knees and all this funky stuff. But when it comes down to just hard-nosed grappling, I'm going to beat him. Well, he beat you at it. He actually beat Cormier at Cormier's game, right? And that. Cormier has to sleep about that. So, I mean, is Cormier going to go home and get better at wrestling? I mean, how much better at wrestling is Cormier going to be? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think he's hit the ceiling in his wrestling ability. Or is he going to become a better striker? You know, and it's like, well, I mean, it wasn't like he was able to really land a lot of great shots on uh, Gus. Gus. You know, I think the height still, you see him kind of jumping in and moving. And jumping in on John, John will put him down. And even trying to open up the striking, Guffiston was able to get takedowns on him because, again, it's not wrestling match, it's MMA. I think in an MMA wrestling match, John takes him down five times out of five. I just think that – and also, too, Cormier attacks the left side very well. You know, he has a head outside single that he transfers to the back or he uses a lift – and he was able to lift, like, uh, you know, Dan Henderson. Or you know, or Gus. Yeah, he threw. Yeah, Gus no, he threw. I think he has a hard time lifting John because John, one, is physically a very strong human being. Plus, his center of gravity is so high that when he went to go ahead and lift him and pop his hips, John's foot was still on the ground. Right. He wasn't able to clear his feet. So all of a sudden, one of his best takedowns doesn't work just because the physical gifts that each guy has makes it difficult. You know, and John was able to use, I mean, one of the takedowns he just kind of grabbed his leg and just kind of mushed him down with his hand. I was like... Wow. Yeah. Like this shows the mental dominance that John had over him. And actually John and I were talking about the fight, other people in the room and basically brought up the fact that he felt he could have finished Cormier in their first fight. He chose not to. He wanted to punish him for the five rounds. It's crazy. And it's like, it's uh, watching the fight. It's hard to argue. It's like, I knew he kind of came on strong in the second. And then I came out and I just wanted to grind him. He says, he's the grinder. I'm going to beat him at his own game. And if you watch it, John beat him at his own game.
0: You know, I, I was there and I was, I was in shock. Just like, all the other Cormier supporters. I thought Dan, when I, saw, when I saw Dan, like, when he was knocking out Bigfoot and Strike Force and doing what he was doing to people, I'm like, all right, I'm like, he's the one guy that's going to give Jones problems. I mm-hmm. even asked Dana White a year and a half before the fight was made. I go, if Cormier goes down to the heavy, the mm-hmm. and no, everyone's like, what kind of stupid question is this? It's exactly what had happened a year yep. and a half later, but it's just, I think you're right. I think, I think that it just sucks because, you know, he lost to Kale Sanderson in the finals of the NCAA, yeah. who might argue to be the best college wrestler of all time. Right. And now he's going to lose to the best fighter of all time. It's yeah. like, he's right. He's number two. Which yeah. is.
2: And he's a very smart guy. And I think that's in his head. And actually it was, I think it was like the Wednesday before their fight, we all went to Red Rock. Uh, Ricky was Lundell, myself. And, uh, we were just, you know, opened up the gym there for, uh, John. So John showed up and he's hitting pads. He's working out. Uh, and, um, that he 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 everybody was giving their two cents on you know what we thought, and um you know at that point someone had asked me they're like well what about the strength difference I'm like oh no John's stronger, you know which is hard for people to believe they look at it, I'm like no DC kind of grabbed the cage a lot with me I felt that type of thing as far as pure power I've had John grab me and it's actually kind of discouraging to go fuck. I'm 40 pounds heavier than this guy, you know, when he's in the off season and he's just as strong as I am. What the hell is going on here? You know what I mean? Like this is a scary feeling. And so uh, John actually chimed in with that losing can become a habit too. He goes, think about it. DC made it up to the pinnacle, but then never has ever made it to the top. He talked about that, how here he is. He goes to the NCAA finals and loses to Kale, right? Then he goes off and he goes to the Olympics, doesn't, make it then even loses weight you know loses on the scale at one point the next uh, time around he's used to coming up short he goes and now he's gonna fight me he goes he'll concede i'll break him he called it i mean he said i'm going to break him i'm not going to try to submit him not try to knock him out i'm going to grind him and all of a sudden i was like damn dude that might not be the best game plan do you really yeah. think that's a good game plan then i watched the fight i'm like oh, man this guy's the best fighter in the world hands yeah. down john jones is the best yeah. i mean no i mean the closest I've ever seen him into trouble was the Guffison fight.
0: Yeah, and, and I, had, I had heard he was doing yeah. some hardcore drugs like a couple uh, days
2: before the John fight. wasn't as prepared, <laughs> knowing John, without throwing anybody out into the bus. Yeah, let's just say that he wasn't as prepared as he could have been. Which is crazy. <laughs> Basically, yeah. he showed up with no training.
1: Well, don't discount that that couldn't happen again, you know? I mean, don't discount that John Jones couldn't lose focus in that kind of way again. I mean, nah. that's, not, that's not necessarily – I'm not saying that's something Daniel Cormier can count on.
2: No, nah, Daniel saying- screwed up because he gets under his skin. He talks about him. Yeah. So I think that motivates John to get ready for it. Because John, remember, is a middle child between two very successful brothers. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a self-esteem issue there. You know, older brother, Arthur, NFL. Younger brother, uh, Chandler, NFL. Mm-hmm. Here, he's the middle brother. He's not in the NFL. He was the worst athlete out of the three brothers, if you break it down. That's crazy. I, I
1: think that's the nicest thing you can say about right? him. So of he, those three guys, he's so, not in the NFL. So
2: he's, you know, he's, he's probably, he has that issue. So if you call yeah. out his manhood, if you try to challenge him, mm-hmm. I think that that, is the issue? That's why I think that the OSP fight wasn't that exciting. Yeah. Is that OSP never really challenged him? No. So he kind of slept through it. In my opinion, if OSP all of a sudden would have caught him and rocked yeah. him with a shot, dropped him for a second, wins around, I think John comes out and takes him out in three minutes in the next round. Yeah. I think he picks him up, throws him down, crushes his face in with elbows. But because he didn't call that out, so I think the best way to beat John, if I were to have to fight him, is you know almost kind of like, which was actually scaring me with Anthony Johnson. That fight actually made me nervous because when I seen them kind of be buddy-buddy and, you know, make that mock uh, mm-hmm. altercation yeah. and then they, they were screwing with Dana, I was like, oh, man, wait, John's being way too friendly. That's scary. That makes me nervous. That, that's the kind of John that goes home and maybe doesn't show up at the gym because he hangs out the night before. Mm-hmm. But the kind of John that's preparing for DC, I don't want to step in the ring with that John.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Listen, this
2: was an honor to have you on the Thanks, show,
0: man. Uh, Rich. Great to see you. Honor to have yeah. you as well, Joe. Thank you. Uh, for I want you. to thank our sponsor, Tip a Fighter. Listen, fighters are underpaid. These guys work their asses off; they don't get paid that much. So, Tip a Fighter, you could actually pay the fighter, and tip him. You can say, listen, I like the way you're fighting. Here's 50 bucks, 100 bucks. You win big on a fighter. Throw other guys, a, a couple hundred. You can tip whenever you want. Tipafighter.com. Uh, if you're an amateur fighter, you can join this. You can, if you're in Bellator, if you're in Titan FC, if you're in Invicta, if you're in the UFC. I know Al Jermaine is with tip of Fighter as well as Kevin Lee, some other great fighters. So, tipafighter.com. Join, uh, join the cause. Uh, I want to thank our... Uh, our guests also, uh, tomorrow night, I will be at the Haha ha comedy club Friday night, eight 30 and 11. Uh, then I'm in Calgary at the comedy cave, uh, in two weeks, in three weeks, I am at, uh, the Rochester, the comedy club. I'm in Vegas, uh, in July, at, Yes, uh, the stratosphere hotel, <coughs> uh, Vegas that week, international fight week. Come check it out. July 5th. I got a TV show on true TV, uh, called the greatest wedding ever. Make sure you check that out. Uh, anything coming up, Frank?
2: Uh no, in July. That'll be our thing. Uh fight yeah. Just uh, phone- As we formalize it together, we'll be able to have a little bit better explanation. Yeah,
1: we'll, we'll definitely talk about that some more with you uh, and and let everybody know the date we settle on. But uh, people can grab our podcast, Phone Booth Fighting, in iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, PhoneBoothFighting.com. New episodes every week. And, you know, one more thing I, I want to mention just because I'm looking at uh, your little dog, Miles, here. <laughs> um, uh, if if anybody has Netflix, uh, you know, I have one of my uh, dogs, Mel, is one of the pit bulls that was rescued from Michael Vick's. Dog dog fighting ring, and I know Miles has been a victim of that, and so uh, uh, there's a new documentary on Netflix called The Champions about my dog, Mel, and a couple of the other dogs that were rescued. If you really want to see what those dogs look like in healthy, happy homes, they look just like little Miles. You know, the irony of it is, if Mel was here, he would love Miles. Like They would get along great. It's a total... Uh, 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 nurture versus nature argument. So that uh, that documentary is called The Champions. If anybody gets a chance, to check it out on Netflix. Definitely. Well, good. Thank- good. Uh, I applaud you for adopting uh, Miles here. And didn't I see you're doing something with a? Uh, uh, aren't you doing something with the comedy in a animal shelter? Oh, Where's I you?
0: I actually am, uh, but we're waiting. it's a long story. Okay, yeah, but yeah, you're yeah, gonna yeah.
1: be doing. Uh, yes. Keep me posted on that. I I'll will. It, we'll we'll definitely uh, let everybody know about that on phone booth fighting.
0: Absolutely. Thank you cool. guys so much. Thank you.